With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's going on today? Hope the day is treating you well. Wanted to let you know the podcast is proudly brought to you by Muskoka Spray Foam Insulation. If you need your home spray foamed, be sure to check out msfi.ca today. Drew and the crew over at Muskoka are waiting for you to help you with your spray foam needs. Be sure to check out msfi.ca today. We're also proudly brought to you by Boone Contracting. They pride themselves on excellent customer service and quality workmanship. They specialize in every aspect of contracting, residential or commercial, from complete custom renovations, decks, fencing and more. Be sure to check out boonecontracting.ca. Are you ready to go offside? Because it's Offside Hockey Talk with your host, James Roberts. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back with another great chat. And I promised you we would have some NWHL content. And who better than the one and only Ryan Burgess, voice of the Buffalo Buttes, and also working in the OJHL. So I want to welcome to the podcast. How you doing today, Ryan? Uh, not too bad, Jamie. Thank you for reaching out to me and having me on. Not a worry at all. Well, good, sir. I got to ask, I ask everybody this question, what got you into hockey? And more specifically, what got you into public address announcing? Well, when I was younger, um, I grew up in rural western New York. After being born in Houston, Texas, and my dad moving us up here when we were kids, um, it was maybe grade four or five when I started you know, watching games on the TV with my dad, it took me a little bit longer to figure out what icing was and offsides and all that. But uh, my fandom really peaked right around 99 when the Sabres went to the cup final. Um, and I remember staying up for that game six and that no goal at like 2.30 in the morning. It was absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. That one has to still sting to this day. Still does. Uh, but it gets better as uh, as time goes on. I mean, the team, uh, the team's recent performance is nothing to shake a fist at. But you know, with Jack Eichel, hopefully there's brighter times ahead. Oh, I definitely think that you guys have some brighter times ahead. I mean, I talked to uh, the legendary Dwayne Steinel, the guy who went on the big old rant, and you know, there are building blocks in place. And I look at you guys as a little bit of what the Maple Leafs went through. But um, just need a couple more pieces, and I think you'll be in the right spot. As far as how I got into public address announcing, the first professional hockey game I went to wasn't until 2003. Sophomore in high school, my dad took me to a uh, Sabres preseason game, and they were playing Columbus. I heard you know the guy talking over the speakers. I heard the music blaring. I'm like, you know what? It'd be pretty cool to do something like that. So I started with my high school basketball team uh, through when I graduated in 2005. Uh, I did semi-professional football for seven and a half years, and that's kind of what tied me over and helped me gain a lot of experience. I ended up joining the Buffalo Junior Sabres of the OJHL in 2012 as their video coordinator, shifted over to PA and music the following year, and the rest is history. 
Well, you're off and running, that's for sure. I got to ask, you know, getting into the OJHL for yourself, who is the best player you've got to call for so far, whether it be, you know, calling a goal for your team or calling a goal for the other team? Well, I was lucky. Uh, I was filling in on the PA mic my first year when I was supposed to be doing the video, and I was able to call uh, a 50th goal of the season for uh, Tyler Jurch, one of our players. Um, he, he and Brian Gianna are the only two 50-goal scorers the organization's ever had. That would be a pretty stellar moment. 50 goals is nothing to uh, to shake a stick at, especially in any league that's professionally based. So that's pretty awesome, man. Mm-hmm. Now for yourself, i got to ask the question here. You know, in the OJHL, they're talking about some of the rule changes, perhaps going for the eligibility for the OHL and maybe different draft dates, different draft years. Um, I'm wondering for you, do you like the way it's set up now? where if guys want to go the NCAA route or any university hockey or anything like that, that they go to the OJHL and they fulfill their commitment there, you know, get scouted, get picked up by a school, and it goes that route? Or would you rather them be able to bounce around from the OJHL to the OHL? Well, I'm not so familiar, to be honest, on hockey operations and how player movement really works. I leave that to my head coach and general manager, Nick Tozzolino, because he's uh, way more nuanced than I am but when I first started with the team our goal was to give western New York and southern Ontario area players the opportunity to get looked at furthering their education and their hockey career where they may not have had those looks before as I understand it uh, on the other side of the border um, certainly players have the ability to go up and down to the OHL from the OJHL. Carter Talk from Milton, that's an example. I know he was a goalie in the OHL for a little bit. But I see no problem with the current system as it is right now. No, the only reason why I ask is I think it's a nine-game limit that you get to go between the leagues. And there's some players, as we all know, that just take longer to develop. And the OJHL is a great development league. It's called the League of Choice for a reason. Because players choose to play there, it's like you said, to further their uh, their education. Um, the only thing I was wondering is just for players, you know, being able to, I guess, grow a little bit and then get that next step. But I mean, I guess the next step is always there if they want to go that route, anyways. Absolutely. As far as perhaps increasing the number of games a player could play at the OHL level, I don't have a problem with that at all. Say, make it fifteen, for example. Yeah, just get them a little bit more time to get their feet wet and just see what it's all about, the professional feel, and, you know, go from organization to organization. You bring that back too, right? You bring that back with you down to the OJHL, and, and, you know, you can use that for your season. Another thing that I was really excited to talk to you about, there's the buzz right now around, you know, women's hockey and the NWHL. We just had the draft, obviously. The Buttes picked up a couple blue nosers, and that was absolutely amazing. I have Carly actually stopping by this week as well to sit down and chat, which will be pretty cool. But for you, I'm wondering, the draft was great, getting everybody involved, like different people like Stephanie McMahon, Steve Dangle, you name it. They were there to to call the picks, you know, and uh, even former Buffalo, um, oh my, Pat LaFontaine, Sabre was there as well. For you, what does this league need to do to take the next steps to keep furthering themselves in the public conscience? I think 
they need increased visibility. And a major way to do that is to continue their visual exposure. There's a broadcast deal in place on Twitch right now, which has worked out fairly well so far. I think it worked out a lot better than, uh, for example, hosting games just on YouTube. Uh, previously, they'd had a Twitter game of the week as well. But the next step has to be an actual over-the-air television broadcast deal. Uh, we see in the WNBA, which has worked out really well for the female basketball players out there, yep. uh, they have games on ESPN and whatnot. And I've, over, I've been over here thinking the past couple of years, um, another league that needs some increased TV visibility is the NWSL, the National Women's Soccer League. Okay. And I'm like, if they can put the NWSL on USA or Lifetime or one of those NBC-owned properties, why can't they do it with the NWHL? It's just a matter of will and uh, uh, getting the resources and the sponsorship to do that. Well, they definitely need to, to get it on there. And I'll throw a little caveat out there. When the NBA draft happened, when it was in Toronto in 95, it was on YTV, a children's station in Canada. So, I mean, just getting it on the air for eyeballs to see, you're right, is, is something that gets people excited, gets people a chance to watch. Um, for the NWHL, what I'm wondering, though, last year the CWHL, when they were in existence, they did get on Sportsnet a couple times, and they had the games broadcast on Sportsnet 1, and everybody was able to see it. I'm wondering why there isn't a partnership or a willingness to work uh, with the NWHL in that regard. I wonder if you know anything on that. I don't, unfortunately. I do know that the league continues to explore all of their avenues to further uh, visibility of the league. I'm sure that uh, the commissioner, Danny Ryland, has had several discussions with television executives as far as what's needed and what resources are needed to do so. Uh, but unfortunately, it's just not there yet. No, it's definitely going to be coming. You have a team now in Toronto. Um, you know, obviously people call it the hockey mecca of the world, be that it, if it may for some, some people call it New York, Chicago, some people may even call it Buffalo. Um, but right now having a team in Toronto with all the major networks around, it can only drive the visibility. I'm wondering from your standpoint though, if you had to tell somebody about the game and get them interested, what would be the one selling point that you throw out there right away? I would ask them if they are a fan of all the clutching and grabbing that the NHL's return that the NHL's returned to after the 0506 lockout. Uh, there was a clampdown on obstruction, interference, those kinds of fouls. You don't see a lot of that in the NWHL or in women's hockey in general. It's fast. The players have to be fast because there's no actual checking. I know that is a downer for a lot of people, but it really makes the pace of play that much more exciting. Players have to be faster. Uh, the passing is great. Uh, some of the goal-scoring talent is absolutely outstanding. Um, I know Toronto just signed Kelly Bass. That's who I had for a year here in Buffalo. You guys are absolutely going to love her. Uh, she's hard-nosed um, and as about as physical as can be. So that's 
definitely. Well, I sat down and watched a few games last year, and it's absolutely top shelf, top notch, all the way across the board. I have to ask this question before we jump into the Buttes and start talking about them. Um, what would you say to those players that are sitting out, hoping that the NHL steps in and kind of puts a league into place themselves? What would you say to those players, and, and how could you get them to come join the league? Obviously, there's some top-notch players that aren't in the NWHL, and I think if they did bring it over, the talent level would just explode. And, you know, you watch the All-Star game last year for the NHL and just how exciting that women's game was. And, you know, if you can just bring that over and start even building more teams and more interest to all those players there, what would you say to them to get them to come on over to the NWHL, which they should do? Well, the first thing I want to say is having worked with several of them in the 2018-2019 season, um, for example, uh, that team had Shannon Zavidoff, Penning Goal, as well as Nicole Hensley, uh, Danny Cameron, Easy, Emily Falzer, now Emily Matheson, um, several Olympians. So I definitely understand where they're coming from as far as, you know, wanting uh, the most professional environment to play in. Um, what I would say to them is, you know, I understand the way you're going about it. Um, I'm not, I, not something that I would have done personally. Um, I would have liked to see them, you know, stay the course and, you know, help use their name recognition to help grow, help bring in those sponsorships and those resources so that we can get on television and raise the wages for everybody and really approach what that professional league is. I mean, the NHL wasn't uh, wasn't making huge jumps six, ten years in. All of these things take time. No, they and definitely do. So that, that, that would have been my appeal, but you know, I certainly understand the way that, uh, that those players want to go. I can't fault them for it one bit. I still have the greatest respect for, for all of them. Oh, no, definitely. The respect factor is still there, and I understand what they're trying to build. Like you said, it's just... You want to make sure that you're getting eyeballs on women's hockey, and how do you do that, especially with COVID-19 taking away the World's Women's Hockey Championship here in Halifax? You know, there is a lost eyeballs on the game right there. You'd think for whatever reason you'd want to make sure you get as much as you can on the sport, but we'll see what happens. Maybe the NHL does step in and they start partnering up and getting broadcast deals and everything in place. I look at the Buffalo Buttes, and I look at other teams around the NWHL, and just a little bit of a tweet from their brethren over in the NHL. Like you look at Boston and the Pride, and you look at the Bruins, the little tweet there just it sent shockwaves through, and everybody was looking, everybody was wondering, everybody was talking about it, you know. But unfortunately, with Ryan McDonough, when he announced his pick, you didn't see anything come out of the Tampa Bay Lightning organization, you know. So you you'd like to see those things happen, or even Minnesota, but. You know, that one thing from the Maple Leafs and then the one thing from the Boston Bruins, it goes a long way in adding not just credibility, but just a little bit of exposure as well. It absolutely does. And um, for a year and a half down here, uh, the Buttes were actually operated by Pagula Sports and Entertainment, the same entity that operates, that owns and operates the Bills, Sabres, the Bandits, the Amherst, uh, you name it in Buffalo sports. Uh, they own or operate it pretty much. So for that year and a half, it was really nice to, you know, see that, see that kind of sponsorship activation. 
Uh, for example, I'd be on uh, the expressway heading toward the rink uh, on Wednesday night, and I see a digital billboard advertising Buttes game. That's awesome. Which I which I thought was pretty cool. Unfortunately, uh, the Google has made uh, their decision to return control of the team back to the NWHL about a year ago. Um, so we've been making do uh, like like we were before because the in the beginning all of the teams were owned and operated by the league. So it's been kind of a, a return to that and just doing the absolute best we can. And I think it's come off really well. Well, you look at the draft and you look at the Buttes team that's going to be coming to Buffalo this season. Um, hopefully everything gets back to normal. We can get on the ice. I'm wondering for you, looking at this squad, what is going to be their strength and what is something they're going to have to shore up during the off season here? Well, I think the Buttes uh, management staff, Mandy Cronin, uh, the GM, and Pete Perham, the head coach, I, did, I think they did a fantastic job drafting for need in this draft. You went out and got yourselves a great goaltender in Carly Jackson. Um, you shored up the defensive depth with three great defenders and added a forward to con- kind of complement um, the Taylor Kersey attack, which I think will be fantastic. Um, there were some problems on the back end this year. That's why the goal differential was not as good as it had been uh, the past few years. But I think with those picks, uh, and if they sign, of course, um, we'll be well on our way to icing a more balanced team uh, this upcoming season. Well, I know Carly's already put pen to paper, and we saw the video last night get out by the Buttes, which is absolutely uh-huh. amazing. Um, for you, who is your must-see, must-watch player on the Buttes, whether they're signed yet or they're already under contract? Who is the one that you think is going to jump off the paper this year? Uh, it's the Selly Queen, Taylor Kersey. She's led the offensive attack. She's an absolute joy to watch. Um, and, well, of course, when she scores, the celebrations are fantastic. <laughs> uh, we had a outdoor game at our Riverworks Complex down here at the end of December against the Metropolitan Riveters. Uh, we were down you know, three or four goals, and she scored four goals in the third period. Uh, to tie it up. Unfortunately, Metro scored late and then added an, an empty header to win it. Uh, she also scored a hat trick uh, in the third period against Minnesota one game this season to, for a Buttes win. So not a, there's not a shortage of offensive talent. Uh, she likes the lap, and that's what people like to see. Now for yourself, I always ask anybody who does any public dress announcing, for you, what has been your favorite call so far for the Buffalo Buttes? Or... Has it been made yet? I don't think it's been made yet. It's been <laughs> close, but I don't think it's been made yet. There's a few people that I've been told before. They pause and they say, you know what? I haven't made the ultimate call, which is calling the last goal for a championship or calling the fact that your team has won a championship. Those are the things that uh, a lot of people say that they want to uh, accomplish and there's a lot of good memories they have, but they say that's the one that they want to hang on the mantle. So I'm pretty sure you're up there, too. That's exactly where I am. And the reason I was close is because the league actually brought me down to do the first-ever Isabel Cup final. Oh, wow. Uh, it, was held at, it was held at a neutral site for the first couple of years. The first one 
was at the uh, Barnabas Health Complex in Newark, New Jersey, the Devil's Practice Facility, and it was Buffalo, Boston. Uh, so, and it, it was best of three at the time, whereas now it's all single elimination. So Boston wins the first game on a penalty shot in overtime. Uh, the Buttes were called for closing the hand on the puck in the goal crease. That's a hard one to swallow. And of course, and of course, who stepped up to take the shot for Boston but Hillary Knight? <laughs> yeah, lights out. So I'm like, so I'm like, well, that's game one. Good thing it's a three-game series. I of course have to be as neutral as possible, which I think I did a pretty good job of. Uh, but Boston won game two, and they took the first Isabel Cup. So that's about as that's about as close as I've come. Uh, in the second year, the Buttes did actually win the Cup, but it was held in uh, Lowell, Massachusetts, uh, on the campus of UMass Lowell, and unfortunately, the league didn't bring me out for that one. Well, you know, you got to have a little bit of that, as Drake would say, a little bit of the chip right there. You just didn't have the dip to call it, that's all. But that's amazing that they did it, and I think this year they will be poised very well to uh, to make a strong run i got to ask, though, with everything going on with COVID-19, I'll ask for the NHL, OJ, and, of course, the NWHL. When do you think it will be safe to resume everything? And when do you think everybody will be back in the building? And how comfortable are you jumping into the booth to call anything with all this going on? Well, I'm a little, I've got a little trepidation about, you know, giving dates and whatnot. Um, there at least here in the United States, there's not enough testing being done. So until until they like significantly ramp up the testing, um, I don't think they're going that you know sports are going to be back with fans or without anytime soon. I mean, I hear the NHL talking about you know a June draft and then maybe in August find a hub city or hub cities and play you know, playoff games with no fans, that doesn't make any sense to me. I think if you're going to hold a June draft in the same press release, you have to cancel the season because there's all sorts of conditions with draft picks and whatnot, and I wouldn't want to mess that up. Yeah, well, I mean, the NHL is coming out and saying, you know, the teams that made the trades will have the ability to rework the trades to make those stipulations work for this. But, I mean... Some of those trades, we hear about the seeds being planted, like you said, at the draft and then being done at trade deadline time. And that's, you know, multiple months and multiple back and forth. I mean, you're trying to get everything reworked within the, the framework of three weeks and make it all make sense. You're right. It, it's going to be very difficult. I understand the pushback from a lot of teams when the draft was a, we're pretty much going to go ahead with the first week of June, you know, yeah, Detroit, Ottawa will be your one-two picks, basically, and everybody else is kind of a crapshoot. It doesn't sit well with a lot of squads, and it also doesn't fit well with a lot of teams that aren't in the mix right now, you know, for that first overall picks. I mean, it doesn't make sense to just go ahead and do the draft and continue the season because it's you're, you have no finality. You have no, no nothing of going on. And just You're right. It, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, and that's that's another thing that I'm glad you spoke on that because the, especially mentioning Ottawa, um, right now um, our board.
border between U.S. and Canada is restricted to essential crossings only. Yep. And certainly things have maybe looking better, as in keeping the curve flattened uh, in certain areas of Canada and certainly some areas in the United States as well. We were doing fairly well here in Buffalo for the most part, and then the past two or three days, uh, things have kind of started to go back downhill a little bit. Um, certainly there are a lot of people down here who are extremely, extremely upset at losing their jobs and the unemployment system isn't really working like it's supposed to. Uh, so that's why I think, you know, with teams going back, having to go back and forth for international travel until we get, again, that expanded testing and more movement towards some kind of treatment or vaccine, I really don't think we'll be seeing any kind of live sport or event for some time. Well, I've long said it, and I've been saying it for the past few weeks from talking to either Paul Bromby from Sportsnet or even Fody from Team Canada, you know, there's media relations. You know, you can't have anything unless you have a rapid response test that is back within 10 to 15 minutes with a result. But you can't just have it for celebrities and athletes. You have to have that readily available for the mass public. So if you can't have it readily available for them, but yet allow athletes to be constantly tested two to three times a day and also have celebrities doing the same thing, it sets a precedent that's not right for the general public, for one. And for two, it just leads into the fact, well, these guys are getting special treatment, and it may add into a little bit of resentment into that fact. I think you have to have a mass, proper testing system in place, and it has to be a rapid response before anything goes through. But we will see when the UFC on May the 9th decides to go ahead with their UFC card for UFC 249, what the sporting landscape will look like, because that is a live event, that is an event that is going to be controlled with no fans, but you're going to have to test athletes, you're going to have to put everything, every precaution in place, and I want to see how that test balloon works, but I don't think it's going to be able to lend itself too well to other sports, where there's a lot more people involved. You look at hockey, for instance, the entire team on both sides. You also have athletic therapists, you have coaches, video staff, you name it. They're all in the building. So it's a little bit different, but at least we'll get a small glimpse if something can work. But you talk about the curb being flattened. I look at it here in Canada. We haven't eased very many restrictions, and things seem to be on that flat line right now in, in most provinces. I'm wondering for you in the States, where they've opened up some restrictions, are you hearing of, of sudden spikes, or is everything kind of staying to the flat? Um, there, are, there are sudden spikes. So that, that leads itself to right there, where you know opening anything up could be a detriment. And I listen to, to guys like Joe Rogan, not that he's a beacon in news, but you listen to him and he's like, well, the reason why things are flat and the reason why the hospitals are empty for the most part in some parts of the U.S. is because of the restrictions, because of everything being on lockdown, because people aren't outside. The second you start allowing people to free roam, this is where this thing spreads and it becomes a problem again. Well, at least one thing that's you know greatly helped is that there is still some freedom of movement here in Buffalo. You are able to go outside and you know take a walk. The parks are still open, uh, but I there they've been quite crowded. So I've just been walking around my neighborhood in my apartment complex. That's uh, exactly what I do here. Uh, I walk around the neighborhoods around my house. <laughs> 
restaurants are still open for takeout and delivery. And I think if those weren't open, uh, we might be having a little bit of a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Well, people like to have their food, right? And a lot of times food is comfort. So, you know, if you get your favorite meal or your favorite slice of pizza or just whatever it is, it adds that little bit of comfort and it adds that little bit of a normalcy back to your life just for a moment. But, yeah, I agree with you. Um, we just opened up the parks and trails here again in Nova Scotia, so those are open. But like you just alluded to, they're pretty crowded. So I stick to my neighborhood. I stick to walking the blocks and just walking bigger and bigger circles every day. It takes a little longer, but it's nice to be outside. And like I said off the hop before we jumped on the call, I'm still working my regular job every single day. So I'm also out in the public doing that, so i got to be a little careful. But, you know... I want things to get back to normal, but I, like I said, I wanted to get back to normal in a safe way. And whether sports has to be on pause until then, you know, if it does, I'm all for it. Well, I know not a lot of folks have this opportunity or have the opportunity or the ability to do so, but uh, ESPN has picked up the Korean baseball organization because they are going. Uh, they opened last or yesterday in Korea or this morning early this morning here on the east coast um i was up at i was up at one two o'clock this morning watching live baseball in korea <laughs> you know what hey you had your fix and i saw your tweets about that and i toyed with the idea of getting up to watch it but i decided to sleep over everything else <laughs> uh, i was waiting for a bath flip because apparently uh, pulling a jose bautista is okay in korean baseball it, oh, wow. uh, it's expected, it's, you know, just like raising a, raising a stick or doing a little celebration when you score a goal in hockey. It's not disrespect to the pitcher. It's just celebration, and that's one thing I'd like to see uh, perhaps make its way over here. You know, maybe a bat flip isn't such a big deal. Well, a bat flip, I mean, even in hockey, I mean, anybody who comes up with a creative celebration, look at Ovechkin with the hot stick, you know. Everybody frowns on it, gets upset, you know. It's basically, for any sport, they want you to put your head down, run your bases, skate to your bench, whatever sport you play, get off the field, and just not celebrate it. I mean, you should celebrate. It's a huge thing. You hit a home run, it's huge. You score a goal, it's huge. There's lots of people in the world who never get that opportunity, so you should celebrate every time. Absolutely, but um, I guess, you know, in my realm, uh, the main thing that's going to dictate uh, who we've been talking, of course, about you know, the mass testing that has to be readily available, all that that has to be done. Um, the border, uh, we've got to get to that point where the border can open, not just for, you know, the major sports like the NBA, the NHL, uh, the NWHL now. Uh, by the way, I can't wait for a Toronto-Buffalo home game here in Buffalo. It's going to be fantastic. Oh, we'll have to do something before one of those games. We'll have to get it all geared up and have some fun with it. Absolutely, but the other thing I'm thinking about is the OJHL because you know we down here in Buffalo we're the only American team in this Canadian league so certainly some discussions are going to have to be had I wouldn't be surprised if maybe some discussions have already been had as far as how things may work when we get to the point where we're able to play again but uh, I think it's still a long way off I do think those discussions would be had, and I think it would be under the same banner for if they were to allow any professional sports team, I think it would be painted with a broad brush. 
um, you know, any teams going back and forth. So I think you'd be fine for the OJHL, the NWHL, NHL, NBA, you name it. I think that wouldn't be a problem at all. <clears throat> because it would all be painted underneath the same of, thing. It's just a matter of who all they allow in the buildings to start. Um, like, of course, yes, you have, um, just speaking at the OJ level, you have your your players, your coaching staff, your uh, athletic therapists, you have your referees, linesmen, uh, a couple of guys uh, for the Zamboni, for the ice. Um, I guess, you know, as I'm thinking about it, technically a public address announcer is an off-ice official. For example, in case there's an issue with the clock, they have to count down how much time left in a penalty. Yep. So, I mean, I, I assume I would have to be there. Um, my wife as well, because she does social media for the Junior Sabres. Yes, we're a, we're Buffalo's power hockey couple. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I mean, if if I'm there doing PA, I may as well bring my computer and play the music too. Yeah, no, you got to do if everything. There's not gonna be, if there's not going to be any fans, you know, the players still need some kind of normalcy, and you know, if I can provide that, I'm more than happy to. No, 100%. Well, that is something we got to look forward to, right? we got to look forward to the lights at the end of the tunnels here and just make sure that we strive to get to them, do the right things, you know. It's not easy. It's difficult. Something that none of us have ever done in our lifetime. But if we come out on the other side properly, we can get these things back up and running, back to the things we love, which is listening to you call for the Buttes and the uh, Junior Sabres, the OJHL. And I cannot wait to get to those times. Uh, I can't either. I'm not thinking about exactly when my next game will be, but um, one thing I will say is this time has allowed me to completely go through my music library and maybe do some volume control and uh, update the collection a little bit so that when we do get back in the rink, it'll sound better than ever. That's it. You know what? Use the downtime wisely. And you'll come out on the other side looking like a pro. And you're already 100% a pro, you and your wife. I want to thank you both very much for uh, you know making the time. I know she had to go into work today, but I want to thank you very much for both agreeing to come on. And I'm really excited to see everything get back to normal and get to uh, amp up a little rivalry between Toronto and Buffalo in the NWHL, my friend. Uh, I can't wait as well, Ali. Thank you for the opportunity. And I'll leave you with a little bit of levity. Um, one of, uh, well, our newest goaltender, Carly Jackson, is a native, of course, of Amherst, Nova Scotia. Yep. Playing in Buffalo will be no problem because our home rink, the Northtown Center, is in Amherst, New York, which is a suburb and actually where the Junior Sabres used to play for years. <laughs> She'll be right at home. Yep, right at home. <laughs> well, Ryan, I thank you very much for taking the time, my friend. Um, I look forward to said hearing you in the fall when everything gets back to normal, and uh, I'll have you on again very soon. My pleasure, Jamie. Until next time for the Offside Hockey Talk podcast, my name is Ryan Burgess. Take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe, everyone. Be safe. Cheers. So as you heard, that was Ryan Burgess from the Junior Buffalo or Junior Sabres of the OJHL and, of course, of the Buffalo Butte of the NWHL. You heard he is a power couple with his wife doing everything in the Buffalo area. Be sure to shake hands and give Ryan a hug 
when everything gets back to normal. Let yourself be known. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is Offside for today. Mm-hmm.